you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome to the next episode of Bare Naked Money. Um, Colin, one of the regulars, and I am tickled pink to be joined by a, a peer, a friend, a compatriot, uh, Brent Vandermeer, who's uh, another portfolio manager with, with, within the IA group of companies. So Brent, welcome. Hey, Colin. Really, really good to be here with you. I think this is the first time we're doing this and it's uh, a long, long time coming and really, really happy to join you. Well, we should disclose that we do have a history. You know, we, we do. We we were uh, what was it, twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen that we engaged in armed battle on the stage of a national conference debating active versus passive money management. Do you remember what year that was? It, it, it's a long, long time ago, but I think that that's got to be about it. It's sort of a blur because we do we've had a lot of interaction since then, a lot of fun stuff, and uh, yeah, I do recall winning that that debate, Colin. So we'll see uh, what happens here. I, I recall winning it as well. So I guess you know, lost in the sand. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we're going to have a conversation today about intergenerational wealth transfer. That, mm -hmm. that's a lot of, a lot of big expensive words, uh, to talk about, uh, giving money to the kids, I guess is largely what it means. Uh, and so we're going to talk about some strategies. We're going to talk about some antidotes. We're going to talk about some limitations and with the objective of giving you some things to think about so that when you do sit down with your, uh, professional advisors, be it lawyer or financial advisor, that you've had a chance to think about a few things and maybe go into that conversation a little bit armed. And just to be clear, this should not be construed as advice. These, this is for recreational purposes only. You know, we're just trying to give you some things to help you organize your own thoughts and maybe, you know, point out some stuff to you to help inform your, your conversations with whoever you're engaging with and putting these kinds of plans together. So Brett, where do you want to start with this? Do you want to, which end of the pool are we going to jump into? Well, you know, maybe it's good to say first that, you know, most people don't want to talk about this stuff, right? So I don't know what you find in your practice, but, uh. I know in mine, it's kind of like going to the dentist or I'm sorry to all of our dentist clients. When I use that line, um, I don't particularly mind going to the dentist, but many people do not like it. This, they want to talk about how much money they made last year and all the exciting, you know, things they're doing with it, the travel, the new business they're starting, you know, and, you know, I guess in a way it's because we're talking about what happens when you're not here and, uh, no one really likes to, to face that truth, but it will eventually come. All of us have an end of our road, an end of our runway, right? And uh, I think to be really good planners and advisors, it's important to say, hey, this is a topic that we should talk about, that you should talk about. And I think people also, when they do, generally have a really good feeling afterwards that they've, that they've engaged, they've done some things to plan ahead and to help those that they love. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's one of those things that you just kind of have to dig into and, uh, and, and start talking about. So maybe that's, uh, the first place to start. If people haven't actually dealt with it, talk to your advisor, your planning team, your accountants, your lawyers, get them around the table and, and start to, to figure out what might happen if and you know, when you're not here. This is just a topic that's maybe not the most fun topic. Now, if you have a way to make it fun, this is going to be a great session. So that's good. 
Well, what I, what I would say to that is in the second part and the, the inescapable part is we're talking about families and money. Mm. Now, you know, that, that, to be honest with you, that's, that's what really drew me out of accounting into this field because I'm, you know, considered to be pretty good at math, but the whole human equation that goes along with this and the range of things I've had people say to me is, is, is quite amazing. And, and, and this part of what I say when I'm talking with a client is, you know, the big thing a good advisor could bring to the table is some perspective because we've talked to people who are older than you are. We've talked to people who are younger than you are. We've watched plans unfold over time. And sometimes that can lead to some really good insight to help maybe shine a flashlight in a corner you hadn't considered before. So I, I would agree wholeheartedly with you, Brent, that it's, it's not a great conversation because families don't like talking about money and it's because mom always liked one kid more than the other, or dad didn't go to my soccer game, or there was that family picnic that time. And there's always a really important reason families do struggle to talk about money. But the upside of, of having a conversation is, is it can be pretty big. Uh, and, and having that in front of uh, an advisor with some experience, maybe it's not as painful as you think it is. Cause I don't know about you. I've had the, the, the situation where clients come in and they're really, really fraught. Like they're just absolutely beside themselves over a particular issue. And it takes me about 20 seconds to offer an alternative to them that they just hadn't considered because they had the, the, the blinders on. Uh, so maybe. sometimes we can you know, give a whole bunch of relief in a big hurry. Does that bring any stories to your mind, Brent, as far as, you know, some of the low hanging fruit that we sometimes encounter when we're starting these conversations with families? Yeah, it sure does. I mean, it probably takes me more than 20 seconds, you know, I'm a little younger than you, but, uh, we get there, right. And we see, uh, you know, well, speaking of younger, actually, I guess if I back up a second, I got, while I was never an accountant, like, like you are, um. I started in this business when I was 19 years old and was all hot to trot on. I'm going to be the next best stock picker and I'll analyze discounted cash flow models. And, and I still love that stuff to this day. It's the numbers, right? But I never thought I'd stay in this, this industry. I never thought I'd have a practice that worked with clients. Um, I was going to become an analyst at bank or, you know, and, or an accounting firm. And, uh, then when I sat in front of people, I was given the opportunity to do that. I thought, oh my goodness, this is really what matters, right? You get to take all of that theoretical head knowledge and bring it down to what am I actually going to do? And you realize that a lot of people had a lot of issues around money. Like money itself wasn't necessarily the issue. It was all this other stuff that we talked about it, right? Like a conflict in a family or um, even just absent of conflict, it was just, how do I pass this on to my kids or a charity or whatever is important to them in a way that is beneficial to them? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I efficiently pass money on and, uh, and actually be a help to people? Uh, and it can be for a small amount of money that someone's accumulated or lots and lots and lots of money where the complexity and the challenges just grows as well. And, uh, that puzzle, and I know you're a puzzle person too, that, that, that just attracted me to this business where you thought, wow, I get to do a puzzle every time and the pieces are always different and they're changing too as the economy changes and interest rates change and tax law and legal law changes as far as the states are concerned. Um, and that was super fun sounding. And so, yeah, 25 years later, I don't know how many years you're in, but uh, I've never done anything else since because I just absolutely love this kind of work. All right, so let, let, let's walk through it because again, we're going to speak to the range of people that are out there. 
you know, and, and I've got clients and I deal with people who look, they want to be buried face down so the world can kiss their patootie. Uh, they really could care less what is, what, what's left behind or how it's left behind. And they're probably not still listening or right. they probably didn't click on this podcast. Uh, but if they're in your world, if they're in your orbit, then you're going to be left cleaning up the mess. Then you've got a vested interest to, you know, get the bare minimum done. You know, we've got, and again, because of the amount of time in and, and, you know, the number of people we deal with, we have a lot of estates that we're currently working with getting settled and, you know, some of them are not very well documented at all. It costs time. Like it can tie time up for years. And I'm not talking, you know, even if your kids are well off and they don't need the money, they're going to be wrapped up in legal proceedings potentially for months and or years to get things cleaned up. So you're going to cost some time and aggravation and tarnish your otherwise good work that you did in life. Uh, you know, the, the complications of not taking any effort towards, you know, straightening things up. Yeah. If you've got that person in your orbit, try to explain to them. It's, it's not necessarily about them. It's just about not leaving a mess and you know, a, a basic will is a good place to start and do. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be complicated, but just set out who's got the, 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 the right and the obligation and, you know, just the basic things. Because again, if, if you're not properly documented, step one is the court's going to have to decide, well, who are we going to appoint as executor? You know, so it, before that happens, literally nothing can happen in the estate and courts are all backed up and all this other kind of stuff. So to those who are those people still listening, don't be selfish. Do the basics. Yeah. And yeah. to the people around them, call them selfish. It's, it's worth it. You're going to thank yourself for, for taking a stand here and trying to get them to do the basics. I don't, I don't know if you have many of those people in your orbit, right? That you're, you're constantly trying to get just to take those, those, those initial steps. How, how do you motivate those people? How do, how do you put it to them? I think whether you just said it, I mean, I guess the stats, I'm not sure exactly you might know what ride, but is it still somewhere around 50% or, you know, so people still don't have a will, is that still the, the stat? I, I've seen that figure and I've seen a, another figure that's, you know, 30% or only 20% of those wills are up to date, you know, right. the, the, right. the other thing I've heard and you know, there can be things like Ontario just changed this rule, but I mean, it, there are certain acts, you know, marriage or, or divorce can invalidate a will. Um, yeah. you know, Ontario just changed the rules around that recently. Um, so we are progressive here for sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Way more than the rest of the backward provinces uh, all across Canada, Mr. Center of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's important, right? Like those, those, those changes that previous to this, or if you're not in, on Ontario and as your life changes, separation, divorce, um, Re remarriage, right after that, um, all these things can can cause significant issues to those documents. And so, like for us, I think I think our subsector of clients, like our our subset of people out there, is probably a little different, right, Colin? That we have our clients are generally a little bit more prepared or having you know thought about this stuff and, and done a little more. But still, I'm still surprised the number of times in our review meetings where we ask the question again, the person goes, oh no, I haven't done that yet. Right. And, uh, and we go, okay. So one of the things that we've tried to do is say, listen, I know, you know, the typical, uh, reason for not having it done is not because they don't care. I mean, I haven't met too many people who don't care about that. If they do. We're probably not the best advisory relationship you know, with them, but, but that said, it's more just the barriers Like people are busy. Right. And it's, uh, it's like, oh, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get, get to that. And they just don't do it. So 
one of the things we've tried to do is say, and we found a really great lawyer who, you know, if they don't have a pre-existing relationship with someone, you know, maybe that lawyer, there is a lawyer that will come to your offices, right? Like they'll come to our offices at Crosspoint or WLWP offices, uh, and, and, and just sort of lower that barrier of, yeah, I have to set up another appointment, go downtown, high rise tower, all this stuff, sit with the stuffy lawyer who's going to ask me all, like, so if we can make it easier and a little bit more simple to get those conversations done, um, we should now we're not lawyers, right? We don't offer legal advice, but there are some planning questions you can have you know, worked through with your advisor, you know, we have some pretty detailed questionnaires that I'm sure you do too, uh, both from like, how do I, what do I need to have thought through to draft a will? You know, people with young kids, who are the guardians going to be, uh, who's the trustee going to be? Those are probably the biggest questions when you have young kids that, that, and then that changes a lot too, over, over time and different questions for different phases of life, right? So having those kind of coaching questions figure it out first before you go sit in front of the lawyer uh, is a good thing, both to save costs, but also have to thought to have thought through some of those, right? Well, yeah, I mean, again, I'm a bit more old school than you are because I've been in the industry a whole five years longer than you, <laughs> but uh, we're a little bit more from the suck it up buttercup uh, way, way of approaching things. You know, if it's just making time for it, I'm just going to flat out tell you make time for it mm. uh, because again, it's important and you're going to cost those around you uh, an exponential amount of more time if you don't get to this and you're going to cost yourself tax and all the rest of it. Now, the other thing I will say is that the, the COVID uh, situation last couple of years has made remote meetings far mm. more accessible and far right. more, uh, comfortable for everybody. So, Hey, there's another way to get around it from a convenience standpoint for sure. But the one that I, I have a harder time with, and you know, this happens more often than I think that, I think that you would think. Uh, if you weren't talking to the general population is there's just, I don't know, like, mm. you know, who, who do you want to be your executor? I don't have anybody that I want to be an executor because of, and there's always good reasons. And, you know, quite honestly, some people, yeah, you're right. You don't, the, the people you've just named, and sometimes it can be as simple as, well, I want my son to be executor, but he lives in the United States. Right. Yeah. Having somebody who's not in the country act as executor is very problematic. Yeah. Uh, and, it, it, and most don't know that, right? Well, exactly. So, I mean, if you, you know, and this another one, if you, if you have one of your children as your executor and they move to the States at some point yeah, and then, okay, they're going to come back and try to be an executor. Oh, you got to post a bond and there's, it can get out of hand in a hurry. So some of these are complicated questions and frankly, clients go down the road and I don't have a good answer here. So there's, there's a couple, one thing that for executor specific, there's other barriers as well, but from an executor specific standpoint, you can always consider you know, appointing a trust company as a professional trustee, or you can appoint a trustee within your will, but then coach them to say, because even after you've been appointed an executor, you can walk down the street and hire an estate service to act as an executor. You can basically pass on the responsibility at that time to another institution of your choosing that you can still work with, right? So there are professional... Yeah, professional trustees that you can retain and you can put that right in your will, uh, or you can appoint somebody who, you know, doesn't have the skill set, and have a conversation with them. It's like, dude, seriously, I don't think you're up to it, but I'm going to appoint you as the executor and I want you to go find an estate service to, to help you go through this process. And I've provided for that in the will and I've stipulated that the money's there to pay for it and all that kind of stuff. So either appointing that professional executor and there's 
the major, some major institutions do it. Some law firms will do it. There's some specialty firms that do it. Um, and it really depends on what you're looking for. Uh, but I'm hogging the air right now, right? I'm just going to follow this all the way through with, we did have a situation. This is something to be aware of. And for every strategy I point out, I'll point out a potential weakness because I've seen most things go wrong. There was a tragic situation where we had a client who passed two years after they had gone through this exercise and appointed a major institution to be the executor. And upon her passing, the two children who would not speak to each other, who had no relationship whatsoever, were turned to the institution to act in this role. And the institution said, yeah, we've decided to, to not do it. And basically walked away and left it. And then you've got a fractured family having to hire individual lawyers and go to the courts and it turned into a whole thing. So make sure you think it all the way through and yeah. maybe try to anticipate some of the ways that, you know, enough, you want to guarantee buy a toaster. There's bumps in the road for different ways. And it's, it's something to be a little bit careful. Have you guys used That's a great any comment. of the, have you guys used any of the, uh, the independent services, Brent? With, with we your do. Clients? Yeah, we do. We've had a number, uh, where, you know, they buy their selective, one of the larger trust com companies and, you know, getting a clear sense of the cost of that. It's really important because I've had some people, the other side of that coin is that's what they've said. Just, oh, that, that'll be simple. That'll be great. They'll just do it. And I asked them, you know, what do you think that'll cost? And they thought, oh, well, $5,000, I'm sure. I said, well, actually it's a percentage of the value of the estate. Do you realize it's going to be this? And that may be worth it. I'm not passing judgment on whether one is comfortable with that. You may need to do that. It's just part of the, part of the process. Right. But they went, oh my goodness, no, I got, you know, this person could do it. And, and they, you know, they said, well, okay. So the key is to have thought through it and, and explored what really is the job. And do I have people who are qualified and able to, and, um, what are the costs and both for someone who, you know, I'm, I'm always a big fan of writing in the the provision for even if it's a personal uh, friend or family member who's going to be the executor, you let them be clearly document that there is, you want them to be paid for their time, right? I personally, that's just my value. I think a lot of people, when they're in that role later on, think, oh no, I can't, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly take money from aunt so-and-so or mom and dad, and it's just going to take it from the kids. But my goodness, talk, talk to someone who's been an executor and realize how much work and time, like you said earlier, that it really is. It's enormous. It's an, it basically monopolizes at least a year, if not more of someone's life. And I think the person who has passed would really probably most of the time wanted to have said, your time's valuable. You're doing something that's valuable for the others. You should, you should take a reasonable amount of compensation for that as well. Right. And I've, I've only met one person in my entire life who was an executor who agreed to be an executor a second time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Please, no, please. <laughs> after that, I've had people flat out say, no, I'll never do that again. Absolutely categorically yeah. not. Because again, it's not only the, the, the time aspect, you actually, you know, are taking possession of the estate to a point mm -hmm. and now you're going to make decisions. And yeah. I was like, well, should I leave that account invested or should I go to cash? And no matter what you do, you're open to scrutiny by the other heirs. So yeah. you can put yourself in the position of taking financial risk. Uh, and if not, you're going to have the stress of thinking you're taking on financial risk. So, you know, yeah, don't, don't enter into that lightly. And it's so easy when it, we're dealing with all the emotions. And this is where I have trouble identifying. There's all this emotion around somebody passing and 
you know, oh my God, I'll do anything for you. Don't, don't worry about it. I'll look after the estate. It's not a big deal. Like I got you. And you know, six months later, it's like, holy cow, I can't believe I'm still dealing with this. And so the reality of it, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's good for everybody involved and you make a very good point. It's good for everybody involved that if it's properly laid out in the will that you expect, whoever acts in this behalf will be paid for their time. And there's some standards. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was, it can be up to th between three and 5% of the value of the estate is kind of the range that if you're going yeah. to a professional executive <clears throat> service that they're going to, to charge, is that still current? That's, that's, that's what I would recall too. Again, I'm not an expert on that, but, uh, that's, that's what we've seen with the, with the larger trust com companies. And, and there's also, um, you don't have to necessarily go to the larger ones as well. I mean, a couple of the lawyers that we work with actually have a trust service that they act on that regard too. And then you, you maybe are kind of getting the best of both worlds that you've got a smaller shop that might know you more sort of like us in our boutique type of wealth management firms. You, you're not just, uh, a number and another file, but you're no, right. And your plans were no, and there, there might be some benefit with that as well. Um, not that that person's going to be around forever either. Right. But, uh, so I think the key is a lot of this stuff, the planning that goes into place here, it's a dynamic thing. It isn't a forget it kind of approach, right. That you, uh, part of the reviews on a regular basis, whether that doesn't have to be every single year necessarily, but as any material change occurs or any sort of every, at least every three to five years, it should be opened up and said, is that still the right way to do this? Right. And are the people that I'm passing money on to, are the relationships still solid? Are there any other things that I have to be aware of here? Um, yeah, I'm sure you've seen it many, many times too, Colin, where the siblings seem to be good on the surface and they see each other up all of Thanksgiving and Christmas and the holidays. But then when money comes into the picture and it brings up, I've heard some wild stories of like, I remember when Bobby stole my doll and I think he's doing the same thing. I exaggerated a little bit here, but you get the idea. these, these trust issues of, I think Bobby's always stealing, you know, he got the cookies first. He got two cookies. I got one. And those things still kind of play out in our elder years where essentially what we're talking about is, is the trust level is maybe not as high as, as even mom or dad thought, or even between the siblings. And so even the person acting as the executor, uh, has to be aware of some of those conflicts that you're going to be questioned. If people are getting your, your siblings who yes, love you are going to say, is he dragging his feet because he wants to either a gouge more money out from a fee point of view, or is he taking money? Like, is it fair that I'm getting my fair share here? And, uh, those questions, I think we'll get into some of these in a little bit, but the communication, like that human component is such a big part of the planning. And, uh, my personal preference is coaching people and saying that having those dialogues before you pass, having those conversations are really important to try to minimize some of the stuff that's going to happen later on. Yeah. And some of the stuff that happens, and again, I've watched it happen over a dozen times. I've actually been in the room with this kind of thing going on where maybe, you know, one of the siblings still lived in the same town with mom and dad and mm -hmm. looked after them and cared for them for an extended period of time. And when they finally pass, there's other siblings show up with their handout saying, okay, yeah. well, where's my half? And the, the person who did all the caregiving said, well, I'm out of pocket and I couldn't work full time. And mom told me that I should, you know, get paid for my time. And well, now there's a difference of opinion. And I've really? watched families not talk over a dispute like that. Yeah. And again, you look at it and yeah, it's kind of messy. And then there's the, you know, Hey, the family business went to one son. Did my, did, did my other son get enough or did my daughter get enough? And 
the son who got the business doesn't appreciate what he got. And sure. I mean, and these things change over time because again, what can make sense in the moment when a decision is made, then, then things happen. And I guess, and we're going to talk about some specific things, Brent, but you know, for me, it's taught me to try to keep things as simple as possible. The more complicated you make things, the more likely you are you to run into something. Like you were just talking about two siblings who seem to get along. Forget the siblings. Who did they marry? Yeah. Matrimonial property rights. Hello. Yeah. Hey, they lost their job. They're in an industry where the mill just shut down and they lost their job and they're now bankrupt and creditors are coming after their assets. Oh shit. The family cottage we put in their name early to try to avoid putting it through the will later, crap, now, now we're in trouble, right? So again, it, it, in the moment and you look and what you can see, everything can make perfect sense, but it doesn't take too long for something that seems to be tangential to where you are, shows up and goes, ta-da, I'm here, Yeah. right? So my bias on these things, and again, this is where you and I differ sometimes. I'm always a keep it simple, stupid, like keep it really, really, really simple, uh, because Again, the more complicated it gets, the more fragile uh, that the plan becomes and the more opportunity there is for something to, 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 to seep in. But I will say that when things go wrong, it ends up on my desk. So maybe I'm scared. Maybe, maybe what I'm dealing with is a really tiny percentage and yeah, you should go ahead and be complicated. Most of the time it works out fine. And so maybe my perspective isn't as valuable in this regard. But, well, I wouldn't say it's not valuable, Carl. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it is tough, right? Because I've had lots of cases too, where I've had people sitting in these chairs by me that are saying, no, everything's great. It's going to be fine. Let's make the house joint ownership. We'll avoid probate. Let's do the cottage. Let's make the investment accounts joint. And you know, most lawyers that I talk to would say, no, 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 do not do that. Don't over plan, right? You're the same way in that sense. Don't, don't over plan. Don't, don't try to be sneaky to avoid in Ontario, right? One and a half to a little more probate, uh, one and a half percent, I should that. Um, yeah, it's, it's money, but it's not going to change the world, but the conflicts that could come from that, um, it could, could change the what's world significantly. And so, yeah, I, I definitely hear you. You got to be very careful. The same time, I don't paint everything with one broad brushstroke and say, never do such things, right? In some cases, and you have to be I think communication is the biggest part of it, which doesn't make it foolproof. But um, if people have sat here to me and said, no, I, absolutely, I, I do not see that coming. And I've belabored the point of conflict and, you know, marriage breakdown, bank bankruptcy, you, you name it, right? Do you want your assets flowing down in the marriage breakdown that's not properly planned because your son doesn't necessarily get a prenuptial agreement or your daughter doesn't and the marriage breakdown occurs? And is that what you want, right? And uh, Oh, no, 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 that's not what I want. Right. And so, well, but in some cases, I think, you know, we've talked about adding beneficiaries on accounts or making joint accounts. I think one can be judicious and, and, and careful in some of those things, because most of the time, in my experience, it works out okay. But the key is to have the conversation and make sure that the person you're working with really understands like as much as possible, all the things that could go wrong so they can properly assess the decision and the planning choices that they're making. Yeah, there's a, and there's a couple of, of, of landmines there to be careful of. Just because you put somebody joint on an account, you have to actually document to what purpose. Sometimes mm -hmm. the courts are going to take a look at, well, what was the reason? Did you just, for simplicity's sake, want somebody else making decisions on this account? Or is this in anticipation of an inheritance? Like, is this a pre-inheritance? Mm -hmm. And so you, 
even when you're setting up joint ownership or you're putting on beneficiaries, you should be very clear and document very clearly what the overall intent is, you know, because those things uh, c- can get a little murky as Absolutely. well. So, and the other thing that, that creates and, that, and, the, and, and the tax, sorry to interrupt there, but like the, the idea of documenting as a gift or pre-gift, like those things are not taxable, but the capital gains or the tax effect of making someone joint. I think a lot of people forget that as well. The deep, deep disposition of their share of the assets, right? Oh yeah, right. Um, not an issue on a principal residence, but on other assets like a cottage or an investment account or other, you know, non-registered assets, that's a significant issue that, uh, you need to have thought through rather than just, I read it on a blog somewhere or heard it on a pod podcast. So <laughs> that seemed like a good, I- good idea. Okay, this is another time to repeat our disclaimer. Don't do anything we're talking about. This is for entertainment purposes only. There you go. <laughs> but no, the, the other thing that, that creeps in, Brandon, and I, I've run into this more, a few times already in the last 12 months, I've had this conversation with people is there's, things can happen. You know, if, if you get to a point where you're of diminished capacity and you've got a power of attorney acting on your behalf. Powers of attorney do not have the power to change a beneficiary. So nope. you kind of set a rock rolling down the hill. And at a certain point, you may be still alive and the situation or landscape may have shifted and the rock's going to keep rolling. Like there's, there's not, there's not really, uh, you know, to my knowledge, without a whole lot of legal work, uh, a way to change that or challenge that. So again, it's, but the other thing I'll say is, uh, how far back from the grave are you trying to reach? Colin and Brent covered a lot of territory this week, but we're going to cut it off there and leave you breathless with anticipation for the rest of the conversation next week. So come back and hear what else they have to say next time. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. We've noticed something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. Content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. 
There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.